Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. These are the words of God from the prophet Isaiah 65 says this, I am ready to be approached by those who do not study me, ready to be found by those who do not seek me. I say, I am here, I am here to those who do not even invoke my name. I'm interested in how we see. And not just mere looking, but a kind of seeing that's beyond, that's at deeper levels of currents that are happening all the time in your life, in my life, and the life of our community. To a God who says, I am here. Now, just to get to know me a little bit, because many of you don't know me, nine years ago, um, I went to a gym to go work out, and uh, it was late at night, it was 10 p.m., and I go, and it's a, a rectangular-shaped gym, and at the very far end of it um, is a horseshoe-shaped workout area and a long mirror. And so I go to the very back, it's 10 p.m., nobody's there. And so I go, and I start doing the first set of workouts. I get up, and you know I'm kind of chilling, and then I go back, and then I start to get into it because I'm by myself, and I got a big old mirror, and I start checking myself out, right? Don't judge me, You're, you would do the same thing. So I start working out more, and then I start doing kind of the walk back, and then the walk forward, and then another set, and this goes on for about 10 minutes. I go walk all the way up to close to the mirror, and I'm kind of looking, and then I back up about five or 10 feet. 10 minutes later, I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, the light turns on behind the mirror. And there's a yoga class of 20 women standing there clapping. What do, you, what do you do? Yeah, I bowed. And I've never looked in a mirror ever again, right? And of course the story is, is funny, but it, it has a, a beautiful metaphor, a deeper point is oftentimes we just get so caught up in staring at our own selves in the mirror, right? We get kind of stuck in that, and our culture is self-obsessed with itself, but not very self-aware. I mean, HBR came out with an article that said they studied 5,000 people and questioning their levels of self-awareness. And uh, if you can look it up, it's interesting. It says 92% of people believed they were self-aware. Guess how many people were actually self-aware according to the stat? 15%, right? And I think part of the problem with this is this idea that the more that we look in our self in the mirror, we're missing out on looking beyond to be able to allow a God who sees us as his sons and daughters. That's our identity. And so that's our invitation is to be able to see above and beyond the mirror of our own selves to see a God who says, I am here yes. Yes. to those who do not even invoke my name. My wife and I were church planners overseas and we uh, met in a, a bar cafe and it was full of nuns and duns. <laughs> nuns people that no longer identify with a religion, and according to the US for the first time in our history, right now there are more people that do not identify with religion than they do with religion. Yeah. And duns, 
those that are walking away from their faith because they're tired of spiritless, fruitless worship. Are, are you with me? And that is the highest percentage in our country within Christianity to millennials and Gen Zers right now, as we speak. And for me, that's not necessarily an alarm bell because I really believe at the core of it, when I interact with somebody who is a nun or a done, because I love hanging out with them, I just believe Genesis 127, that we are formed out of the dust, out of the spirit, spirit breathes into us, and we each are made into the image of God, and so we're not, spirit, we're not human beings have a spiritual experience, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And so what I love about engaging with nuns and duns is that we just get to engage the image of God that's already within them. Are you with me? So the question is, we live in a post-Christian society. That is a fact. And more and more people are walking away and we don't have to be alarmed, but we have to ask the question, what does that mean for the church? Yes? What does that mean for the missional church. This is the question that I wanna to ask today as we think about what Mother Teresa said when asked by a reporter, how on earth do you every single day walk through abject poverty? And she said this, I have learned over a lifetime how to see Christ in everyone. What does it look like for us to see Christ in each other. What, what does it look like for us to be the millennial or the missional church? That's the question that I want to ask for us today. And I was trying to discern what where is the Lord kind of inviting us to, to kind of get into to God's word. And, and he took me to Isaiah 55 to 65, which I read Isaiah 65. And it's this period in Israel as they're coming back from exile and it's known as 4th Isaiah, and the description from theologians that they would describe this period in history is known as hope with a warning. 55 to 65 is hope with a warning. Now, I'm gonna connect some dots. In Nazareth, Jesus is about to begin his ministry. He's 30 years old, we don't know a whole lot that happened before, and I have been to Nazareth a bunch of times, I've stood in this spot where he would have stood in the synagogue, and quick little side note, he probably was not a carpenter. The Greek word is tecton, it's stonemason. I've been there, there's not many trees, but there's stone quarries. Jesus was likely a stonemason, which makes a whole lot more sense when it says that he is the cornerstone, right? Yeah, that'll kinda wake us up a little bit, so he is, in Nazareth, and he's about to go into the synagogue, and every three years, they go through the Torah. So he's gonna go up, he's gonna stand before the Bema, and he's not gonna just pick some random passage. This is what's presented before him, but of course it's not coincidence. And can you imagine the first words that he's going to share in terms of what his inauguration into the world is going to be, is going to be, in this Isaiah 55 to 65 space. He's going to quote Isaiah 61. And what's most fascinating is we're standing there in Nazareth, sitting in this spot, and our teacher, Mark Turnage, says something years ago, and it's just been gripping me ever since. I feel like I'm just a broken record teaching on this passage. He says, this 
is the gospel according to Jesus. Too often we let Paul define the gospel instead of letting Jesus define the gospel. And we have to begin with what Jesus has to say about his mission was. And what his mission is, is what our mission is into the world. Are you tracking with me? And so Luke chapter four, this is the passage. It says, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, right? They're reading through this. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This was the mission of Jesus, to restore humanity by setting captives free. Captives, captives from mindsets, captives from ideological mindsets across the whole spectrum. Lord have mercy. Mindsets from sin, mindsets of actual captivity. There are 300,000 children that are trafficked every year in the United States. And you heard this in the NCC Daily. NCCer uh, Brittany Dunn, who co-founded Safe Houses Project, has dreamed of the church being the catalyst to end child trafficking in the United States by 2030. That is an audacious dream. That is the calling that Jesus is inviting us to, setting the oppressed free, liberating humanity from sin and entering the freedom of relationship with God and one another he has always intended for us. It's beautiful, it's risk-based love. The missional church, the missional church is risk-based love. And at NCC, this is how we frame it. Act. A-C-T. At NCC, the way in which we envision the good news practiced by the missional church is by addressing poverty, by advocating for the poor and the oppressed. And you can say an amen after each of these. Addressing suffering by caring for the sick and the sorrowful. Addressing spiritual and relational brokenness by transforming through reconciliation. Now this is where too often the modern church will get this wrong. We often wrongly assume that the primary activity of God is in the church in a building, in a gathering like we're doing right now, which is beautiful and empowering, rather than recognizing that God's primary activity is in the world and the church is God's instrument sent into the world to participate in his redemptive mission. Too often, I see churches that have missions departments and it's set aside for people with the gift of mercy and compassion And they offer serving outreaches and events and they send mission teams overseas and that's good, but that does not develop missional people. That does not develop missional culture. 
And as we are moving towards post-Christian realities, increasing in nuns and duns, we cannot rely so much on Christian culture to grow us, but we must be recovering the call of discipling people. So as ascending agent, the church, you and I are called to the mission of Jesus, act as transforming agents. Now, as the early church is about to start, Jesus' final words are this, and this is forms the last words of Jesus. Are you picking up on what 818 Missions is about? The first words of Jesus, his inauguration, and the very final words of Jesus bind the way in which we approach our missional vision. And we heard it last week, you're gonna continue to hear it. It says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's try to unpack empowerment. What does that mean? Yes? I just had that question the other day. Someone's like, okay, I, I want the empowerment of the Spirit, but it's like, what is that? What does that even look like? How do you describe it? it? One of the ways that I can describe this is, theologically, we are animated by the Spirit when we take our first breath. We are rested on, the Spirit rests on us when we are baptized by water, yes? And then we are empowered by the Spirit when we enter into the tabernacle of his presence. That was the picture that Pastor Zeb gave us, gave us last week. That the empowerment of the Spirit is God's evidence that he is present with his people. And so what empowerment actually shows us is it points us all the way back to Mount Sinai, that moment, what's called the theophany, which is the actual manifest presence of God. And it points to the tabernacle where God desires to dwell with his people in the Old Testament. And what you see is the actual design of the tabernacle is you walk through a gate and then you enter the brazen laver which is the place of sacrifice, and then you enter uh, another place of ritual washing, and then you enter the showbread, and then you enter into the dwelling place of God, the Holy of Holies, which was not accessible to anybody except for the high priest once a year. So the empowerment of the Spirit is literally the path that we take as we enter closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, God's presence. So it begins with thanksgiving. It enters into forgiveness of sins that we have to enter with Jesus. And then it enters into this place of saying, Jesus, how do you see me? And then we begin to enter into this place where we be, are able to receive the empowerment of, of the Spirit. Are you with me? So this is part of what we see. The empowerment of the Spirit is the catalytic moments that jumpstart us into the work of cultivating rhythms in life in the Spirit, which produces the fruits of the Spirit, which we call discipleship. And so deeply formed missional churches are both. They are catalytic moments of empowerment followed by cultivating rhythms of discipleship in the Spirit. Yes? 
Brad and Catherine were NCCers who felt called to return to their rural hometown of Waynetown, Indiana. Population 970. The poverty rate was roughly 13%, and the median age was 30, is 39. It's a farming community with rich, deep roots in the Indiana soil. And as they listened to God's spirit, Brad and Catherine began to explore what the church might look like in a town gutted by brain drain, economic downturn, and addiction. They are ordinary people trying to revitalize their community with kingdom economics, looking beyond financial profits to creatively meet the needs of their community through employment opportunities, building safe gathering spaces, and creating hospitality rental units used by families visiting their loved ones in nearby rehabilitation center. This is the portrait of one community dismantling their church walls to allow God's spirit to flow beyond denominational lines. It's the story of one community that is choosing to cultivate hope in the face of decline. Check out this story. Everything reaches for the sun, that it's all reaching for the light. And it, the scripture that comes to mind is the one about how if nobody else is praising God, the rocks is going to be praising God. And I see that all the time. Um, and that, I guess, is where I see the spirit and the soil sort of manifesting in the way uh, what comes out of the soil just rejoices at the sun. So Be The Church exists to meet needs in the community, be they spiritual, relational, financial, or physical. And the way we do that is by purchasing the buildings in the downtown, renovating them and putting them back into use so that we can create spaces for people to gather, to be loved on. And of course, the ultimate purpose is to bring people to Christ. It's the church escaping from its four walls. Too many of us, and I think, you know, we think we're gonna go to church we worship on Sunday, and then we say goodbye and we go home, and that's it for the week. We have to be greeting people in the streets and uh, not be cloistered in four walls. A community is made up of people. We are to love people. That's, that's a basic command from Jesus Christ, to love one another. And I feel that uh, a church needs to be involved in the people's lives. How can we meet needs? if we don't know what those needs are. And here there's like a history, and the history extends beyond, you know, just your relationship with them deeper and deeper. And so I think it creates this sense of community that is so different. There's a dedicated effort to put something in the ground and then it has to be nourished and provided for until it grows into what it was meant to be. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful story? 
Isn't that a beautiful story? The church is invited to act, empowered by the Spirit. Now, I think there's a bunch of stuff that is preventing us from doing that. I, I thought of five obstacles. What are, what are a few obstacles that, that are preventing us from stepping into this as, as a big C church? And let me go through a few of those. You ready? First, it's hard not to be distracted by everything. Our minds are everywhere and nowhere at the same time. I am distracted by shiny objects, loud noises, angry posts, negative news cycles, what some football player did or did not do. Am I the only one? And I know this so much because something happened to me for the first time in my life. I'm 40 year, years old. I have a semi-ish decent driving record. And I'm filling up my gas tank the other day and I pull away after I filled it out and everybody's shouting at me. I'm thinking, what on earth are they so upset about? And so I get out of my car and this is what I have done. Has anybody else done this? Am I the only one? Yes, we have four people that have done that. So distracted, aren't we? We are so distracted. The second obstacle is we're in a battle over soul level fatigue. We have to recognize our soul level fatigue. Compassion is low, apathy is high, numbness a reality, cynicism and disillusionment is the dish of the day. And I would love to see how we form missional culture and discipling that teaches kingdom rhythms of renewal and resilience both renewal and resilience. This is another challenge for us, is soul level fatigue. The next is four and five. Author Francis Schaeffer warned us about four and five 50 years ago in his book called The Great Evangelical Disaster. Now Francis Schaeffer, anybody who's heard of him, is uh, an amazing thinker and disciple maker and he saw the church begin to embrace an ideology that he feared would stop its mission. So he wrote about two things that would be that hindrance. You ready? It's gonna surprise you. Personal peace and affluence. When the church takes its vision and passion and heart and energy and concern and reduces those things down to my own welfare and my own concern and my own prosperity, the church will cease to function as a witness and a vision of the kingdom of God in the world. Now, Jesus is about our comfort. Do not be offended by that. Jesus is about our comfort. He's about creating safe space. And if you've been with any counselor, you're gonna understand creating safe space is essential for addressing trauma, especially complex trauma. And we are about creating those kinds of spaces. But the reality is Walter Brueggemann said this, and this one is just a sucker punch. You ready? The gospel is a truth widely held, but a truth greatly reduced. It is a truth that has been flattened, trivialized, and rendered inane. What follows is a reduction of the story of God that we tell. The telling of a reduced story takes away the always impressive and authoritative story of Jesus, 
siphons it of its transformative power, drains it of its restorative influence, or simply bleeds it dry until it is lifeless. Wow. So I wanna ask this question and I, I wanna share some framework for missional engagement. And much of this is based on these two things. The first one is, is we wanna be a part of what God is doing in your life. And we call this on mission every day and we're gonna talk about that next week. How do we enter into the unique story that God has designed within you as we think through, act, as we think through assisting the poor, caring, the, caring for the sick, and transforming through reconciliation. But today, I just for a few moments, I wanna talk about inviting you into what God is doing in the life of NCC, in the life of the missional church. And NCC is a significantly active church. We have a prayerful, intentional, strategic approach to the flourishing of city ecosystems and we're deployed throughout our city. And if you're online, we wanna be able to help you figure out how to do this in your own communities. We have international and we have local engagement and we think about systematically how we can translate the issues that we engage in abroad to the issues that we're involved in in our local community. And the way in which we do that is we look at best practices that can intersect with passionate, spirit-filled, prayer-saturated, signs and wonders missional church. And we look at what we call city ecosystems. And we look at nine core indicators that look at how the gospel can transform communities into flourishing communities. And these are nine core indicators. I can't go through all of them, but I encourage you, you can go to the website and you can learn more about these indicators and the way in which we seek to provide measurable impact along with the ways in which we can disciple people, particularly engaging our marginalized communities. So we have impact that we focus on in our city and we have discipleship that we focus on in our models. And there are so many more resources that we can engage in, but what I wanna do is I just wanna share this story of Pastor Joshua. This is story time, is that all right? I wanna tell the story of Holt Baltimore. He's one of my best friends. And many of you know him, you've seen his heart for Baltimore. We saw us launch in the heart of the city and he's been called into becoming a missional church. And what we wanna show you is just a picture of his heart and how they're thinking about living on mission as a church. Baltimore is a very, very divided city. Um, it's, it's clear how divided it is. And it, it, it will be similar to how it was in the early church. There were very clear lines of division um, across the board, socioeconomically, racially, ethnically, you know, politically, the whole nine. And that, all of that exists in Baltimore. So even decisions in a very segregated and divided city like Baltimore, where we decide to gather, needs to be very intentional because we want to be gathered in a place where 
there's intersection with minimal resistance where people will feel safe to come and gather and you can promote what the gospel teaches us um, in a way that um, is conducive to that environment. And then this little thing we decided to do where every fifth Sunday we don't gather because we go out and serve. But like we're trying to uh, de-emphasize the gathering or at least uh, shift our perspective on it so we realize that it's not about the gathering but that we're trying to get out and be the gospel and inspire people um, in that way. So um, those are some practices. There have been several of the last few regimes of leadership in Baltimore that have ended in some sort of controversy, um, some sort of corruption. This is a city with, I mean, thousands of churches that have been more inward um, and not outward. Definitely a, a recipe for distrust. And so someone coming in with some new shiny kind of deal um, is definitely gonna be seen uh, or looked upon suspiciously I'll even give an example. I was engaging with a principal and was talking to her about the work that we're trying to do. And she basically told me, I'm not interested in poverty pimps. She was just letting me know, this is what I've dealt with. And I can see that you're different, but I'm just telling you, this is how I roll. The school to prison pipeline is a phenomenon that's really layered, but it has to do with the discipline structure within the school that doesn't lead to a discipline being handled within the school, but it, it gets outsourced and many youth find themselves in situations like juvenile detention. And the research shows that the earlier they are in contact with the juvenile justice system, the more likely they are to find themselves in that pipeline to prison. So that is an issue that we have decided to step into, not to try to solve, but to figure out how we can engage young people uh, at an early level and engage with schools. Um, because we feel like it's a gospel-centered issue. If you ask me what is Hope Baltimore, I would just say it's a restoration movement, which is what I see happening when Jesus comes to earth, is to reconcile us back to God and to one another. And that brings hope, and that's what we want to do in Baltimore. And, and we know that the gospel provides us hope, and we just want to embody that. Yeah, you can give it up for Pastor Joshua. Hope Baltimore is a place of restoration. Let me close with this story. We were right here at the turnaround with about 60, 70 pastors here in, in the district. This was a couple of weeks ago and we were with the chief of police here in DC, Chief Conti. And we invited him to come and speak to the pastors because um, if, if many of you know that we have just seen an increase in violence in our city, yes? I was walking down the street three hours ago as I was prayer walking, prepping for today, and I heard pop, 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 40 pops. Three minutes later, 20 cop cars, helicopters. We are in the midst of a space where we're seeing significant increases in violence, but he said something that stopped us all in our tracks. We've seen a 50% increase in stabbings. 
And he said, that's different. That's intimate. He said, I stand over evil every single day. This isn't just a human issue. This is a spiritual warfare issue in our city. And we have the chief of police calling us out, calling us pastors out saying, if you don't see this as a spiritual warfare issue in our city, what are we doing? And he says, the problem is, is we've become so transactional and we've lost relationship. And he said, what we need is that space of compassion back in our heart to call the church out, to be empowered by the spirit, to go into our communities, to see God heal and restore our communities. Are you with me? And so that's what we do, God, right now, is we just pray, we just pray a swell of space that you've called us to be a church that's outside our four walls. We recognize obstacles, we recognize soul fatigue, we recognize distraction, we recognize sometimes we focus just on ourselves, and while you're desiring for us to be cared for, you've called us to something beyond as a church. Give us a prophetic voice in our cities, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. We pray, Lord God, that you would fill us, that you would empower us, that you would anoint us, that you would give us pictures and visions of how you were called to creatively be sent out into our communities, how we're to creatively be called to sent out around the world. And so, Jesus, we just come to you and we say, here we are. Use us as your church to be a prophetic voice for our generation. In Jesus' name.